to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Merry Christmas, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. Of course, you can call me Gregory. And welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. I hope you're doing well in this holiday season. Happy solstice, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, and of course, Merry Christmas. We are here at the end of 2017, and it is a time of reflection and rumination about not just 2017, and boy, did a lot happen this year in terms of the news, but in terms of our own life. And that's why I wanted to do this episode of Confessions where I kind of go full circle and that I've realized that because of so many of the issues that happened to me as a child, which of course have gone chronicled back to episode one, it is very difficult for me to sustain a relationship. And I'm going to try to show the, the cause and effect as to why that is. Also in this episode, I'm going to talk about The Last Jedi. If you go back to episode six, which is the presidential fitness test, I spent the last 15 minutes of that one talking about the Star Wars trilogy, what I thought would have been a better ending for Force Awakens, and I also talk about Rogue One. I saw Last Jedi recently with my kids, and so I'm going to talk about that for a little while. Before we begin, of course, the website is www.naturopathicearth.com. Over there, you can see all the articles, food recipes, essential oil recipes, and the original 15 Confessions of an Obese Child written. I am starting a new chronicle called the Insomniac Chronicles, where I talk about my insomnia and some of the challenges with that. Those are there as well. You can listen to the other podcasts. Of course, we have NPE Radio, which is Naturopathic Earth Radio, which is the flagship, and that's the podcast stream where I talk about food toxins, airborne toxins, and how to eat well and stay away from bad stuff. I'm also planning to do some podcasts up and coming on population control, the myth of that, and some of the more medical conspiracy things. And of course, there's Kate's Apothecary. Kate has, uh, it's a limited podcast series. There's four podcast episodes on essential oils and then three on mindfulness. But if you go to Kate's Apothecary, check those out as well. They're very, 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 very popular because Kate has a really relaxing voice and I should probably learn from her a bit. Also, if you're interested in losing weight, contact me. As you know, I've lost 100 pounds and kept it over 25 years, and I'm not perfect, but I might be able to help you if nobody else has been able to help you lose the weight. Okay, so let's get started in talking about my inability to support a relationship. Okay, so I appreciate candor in my podcast. Everything I've mentioned, if you go back to the earliest ones about getting bullied in the pool and in the locker room and contemplating suicide at the apex of my weight gain, everything's honest. So I'm going to be honest here. The relationship that I was most recently in, and I think I mentioned in an earlier episode, it was Kate, has unfortunately ended. It has ended. And we, of course, are going to get along quite well. We're going to continue working on the website. And, of course, we're friends. Uh, But in moments like this, 
And especially because I am an overly analytical person, and this is one of the reasons why I have sleeping problems, because I have problems turning off my mind, and I tend to analyze so much. And this is, this is something I'll bring up later on. And because it's at the end of the year and it's the end of a relationship, um, I thought it was a perfect time to kind of sit and realize the chain of events that have led me to understand this and to see why this is. And I think it's great because the confessions of an obese child, aside from helping people who have been overweight or suffer from addictions, I can go back to episode one, which was roughly recorded uh, about 11 months ago, and listen to all of them and kind of see the progression of how things that occurred to me as a child uh, later affected me as an adult, which I've detailed in the last five or six episodes. But I think I came to this realization recently that I am unable to support a relationship because of issues that stemmed from my childhood. So I'm going to endeavor to kind of go through these steps and see how one affected the next, affected the next, affected the next, to the point where I need some deep work uh, to ever be in a relationship again, if, if I choose to be in a relationship again. So it, of course, starts with why I became overweight. So if you go back to episode one, why did I become overweight? The fact that my father was volatile. Aside from being an alcoholic, the alcohol fueled his volatility. And so when he came home, I didn't know if he was going to be loud and drunk and yelling and berating me or if he was going to be just kind of normal and no big deal. And as I talked about in The Cancer Doctor, it was difficult for my mother and I to have to deal with this because he would come home raging and yelling at my brother and myself. And then five minutes later, he'd be just like, okay, Albertito, let us go play soccer. Let us go to Swanson's and get some ice cream. And then it's like, it's like a type of ga- a form of gaslighting almost where it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, did, did, did you not just say that I'm a horrible piece of shit, you know, fat ass uh, five minutes ago? And now it's like, he feels better. So he's like, okay, well, everything's back to normal. Let's go hang out. And, and, and so this, this was the type of, of lifestyle, the milieu that I grew up with. So I had my father dealing with the rage issues. And I had mentioned before that he is, his mother walked out on him on his third birthday as a child. And I think maybe that's, that, that's what caused him to, uh, to, to, to be volatile and maybe turn to, to drink later on. But then my mother was um, just a very kind of aloof woman. She was mired in her depression and uh, to, to, I think, really give enough uh, a, a affection and attention to me. I was the youngest of three. And so when she was older, when my middle brother, who I did the podcast, The Popular Brother, when he and my eldest brother, when, when they were younger, she was still pretty there. And by the time I came around and by the time I was five or six and certainly older later on, uh, she was really kind of mired in her depression to the point where she um, most of the time was kind of checked out. Not to say that, you know, she didn't cook for us and we had good times. You know, I've, I've mentioned in these previous podcasts some of the funny things that she did. But I remember many cases where my father would come to me and she'd be like, Albert, your mother is in very deep depression. We've hired Juanita to watch over the house and to take care of you. And, you know, I'm like nine, so I don't really know what's going on. So in in that milieu, I turned to food. 
right? People are going to turn to different things. Kids are going to turn to different things. Food is the most accessible thing around for a child. As it is, we already like sweets and junk food, right? Kids all like that. So it's probably kind of an easy thing to turn to. And so I started eating and I started eating and eating. And then I started eating and eating, eating and eating and eating. And to the point where I started getting overweight. And then at that point, the kids started bullying me, which led me, of course, to eat more because of the self-loathing. And that's what allowed my weight to version to about 280 pounds by the time I was 17. So being overweight and experiencing the trauma that occurred to me during those 13 years of obesity effed with my mind, right? It's the formative years of your life. So, I mean, it's just like if you were physically or sexually abused during that time or you had some, if you're in and out of foster homes or something like that, some some sort of trauma, that's going to affect your mind. And it's not like it's like a trauma window that occurs to you when you're 35 years old to 40, where you already have like a mature, formal, formalized mind, when stuff happens to you during the periods of, of growth of your psyche and of your body, it, it's something that lingers with you forever, forever. And because of the bullying, in addition to the aforementioned lack of attention, I suppose I was getting from my parents, this led me, of course, to be very insecure. It led me to be self-loathing about the fact that I would binge eat all the time, even though I knew it was bad. So it was like, I, I feel depressed, so let me go binge eat and get those few moments of e- ecstasy, only to have that followed by hours, if not days, of shame and embarrassment for binging. And then, of course, that would fuel the next binge. So what I learned during that time was to be self-loathing and insecure. And I think that's when some of my some of my neuroses started to develop, which I have nowadays. Because I don't remember necessarily being a clean freak as a child, but when you cannot control your environment, and at school I could not control via my environment in terms of the bullying. And then even when I came home, despite you know good times, I would watch my cartoons and play video games and so forth. I couldn't necessarily control my environment at home because my father would come home and who knows what I would get from him and then who knows what I would get in terms of the lack of attention from my mother. I couldn't really control that. So I think my young psyche started to implement things, controlling things that, that allowed my mind to relax. And we'll, we'll talk about how that, that really was fully manis- manifested later on in my adulthood. So... When I turned 17, and if you go to How Did I Lose My Weight, that episode, that's when I lost the weight. So as any of you know who've lost weight, who, was formally, who were formerly overweight, or let's say you had a drug addiction or sex addiction or whatever, and you, you, you got off of it for a little while, the, the, the struggle is still there. You grew up with disordered eating, a disordered eating habit. And because you've lost the weight either through bariatric surgery or the old-fashioned way, you still have disordered eating. It's not like you wake up one day and like, oh, I'm just going to eat, you know, my, my meat portion, my veggie portion, and my rice portion, and my milk, and I'm going to go to sleep and never think about food again, even though that's all I know because that's all I've ever done my entire life. So unless you go to therapy and have the deep work, and even then, you know, who's to say you're not? still having the disordered thinking of, of food. 
Um, that's still something that's going to linger on. So when I got to college, as I talk about in college dysfunction, that episode, I still had disordered eating. I was still binging and then but following with the, the starving for several days. And that didn't change. That, that did not change. I had disordered eating. And so the, in, in my college years, it was reflected in other controlling tendencies. So for example, drinking alcohol. No way. I wouldn't even drink a drop of alcohol in college. And to this day, now Kate would, would, would not agree with me because uh, we went to Europe and she says that I was drunk one time. We, were, we went to a restaurant. But I, 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 I don't know. I don't know the true definition of being drunk. To me, it's staggering and you don't have any memories of anything. So, I mean, I've been buzzed a couple of times, but I've never been drunk. But certainly now my view of alcohol is different. But in college... I didn't want to drink because I thought, okay, and I had the wherewithal to know I am addicted to food. If I drink this drop of alcohol, who's to say I'm not going to go down the slippery slope of being addicted to alcohol, right? Oh, I like the taste or I like the way it makes me feel. Oh, and then I'm going to turn into an alcoholic and be like my father and then yell and beat up people or get in a car accident or, you know, whatever. That not, not that's not to say my father beat me or anything like that. Aside from just you know the typical belt here and there, but that's the subway sub. And, and it was the same thing for drugs. Now I hung out. If you go back to college dysfunction, I hung out with the religious people, so the, the campus ministry crew at my Catholic university that I went to. And so it's not like you know we had uh, you know marijuana and acid, and we were shooting up heroin every night. You know I wasn't really exposed to the drug culture back then. But it would have been the same thing with the drugs. I can't, I can't take this marijuana. You know, I can't try this, these mushrooms uh, because I'll, next thing I know, I'll end up in the street and I'll be, I'll be addicted to that and alcohol and food. You know, so I can't deal with all this. So in, in, in college, I had the wherewithal to know I'm addicted to food and I have disordered thinking and I wasn't that much into my own oblivion to know that, hey, binging for three days and starving for four days is not normal. So I, I knew that. And so again, it was about the control. It was about the control. I had to control other aspects of my life. Food helped with that on one level. Food allowed me to control some of my environment and that if something was happening that was not normal, um, I could always turn to food for the comfort. Also during this time, since I had lost my weight my senior year in high school, I was exercising every day. And so the exercise gave me order. The exercise gave me uh, a way to relieve my stress, just my college stress, but the eating stress, because of course I was still eating poorly. And so I'd go work it out. Or if it was on those starved days, I thought, oh, if I you know run today my five miles, it'll cut into the, the weight that I've gained over the weekend from the binge eating. But then even then, the exercise became a prison, which I've talked about later on, where I remember writing on calendars how I was running five miles a day, 45 days in a row. And and to contemplate not working out on a given day was something that I didn't even contemplate. I mean, it was like unheard of. It would be unheard of. I would be panicking. I remember driving to Canada with my friend Dave. I, I think I mentioned this story in a previous podcast that we did behind my parents' back. I told him I was going to Corpus Christi, which is a nearby, nearby town here in San Antonio, for two weeks to visit a friend. And so my friend and I, we just drove up to Canada because we wanted to go to Canada. Something you do in college, something ridiculous. Anyways, I remember on the way up there, we would be driving like 18 hours, 20 hours to get up there because we only had you know a few, several days. But I would be like, okay, uh, Dave, we got to stop. I got to go run. 
literally, I would, I had to run on days when we were driving. So if it was in the morning, if we stayed at a hotel, or if we slept in the car, I'd have to go run. I mean, I had to run on every day. If not, I'd panic. So again, that control, I needed that control. And so these, these patterns started to develop early on in college. And in college, I didn't really have any relationships to speak of. I did date and, you know, you know, you do the typical college thing where you kiss girls and so forth, but I didn't really have any relationships until I met my ex-wife. So let's take a break and then we'll talk about my 30s and 40s. Okay, so I met my ex-wife in the final year of college, and I was with her for the next 20 years or so. And looking back, it was difficult to be with me. And it wasn't difficult to be with me because I was like some like rage yeller, beater, you know, or spending all of our money away on online poker. Because again, control, right? I'm not even going to even attempt online poker, any gambling even like when I went to Vegas a few times, when we drove to Vegas, I would play nickel slots and quarter slots. Because again, it's like, I don't want to end up being a gambling addict, right? You're just living this this fear all the time. But, and I mentioned this in Food is My Mistress, the episode on my my relationship with food and how it was my mistress, and especially in, in regards to my marriage, that it was difficult to be with me in that I needed everything to be in order, And I've mentioned this before that, for example, in my house, in my apartment or wherever I was living, I need things tidy. I need things put away. Now, they don't necessarily need to be clean. Like the toilet can be filthy. As long as you're shoving all the the dirty clothes or clean clothes or leftover toys under the couch, under the chair, shove them in the closet, I'm good. But seeing stuff out makes me anxious makes me anxious. Not making the bed makes me anxious. But why does it make me anxious? I asked myself. I was like, why? I mean, there's a lot of people. Now, I know there's other people who are kind of clean freaks, but I think they they suffer from these kind of OCD things too. And I I think that I need things to be clean. And why do I need things clean to to be able to relax? It's because, again, it's control. I need to be able to control my environment. And the reason why... It was difficult to be with me, not just with the, the, that marriage, but with my most previous relationship is that I can't relax unless things are done. Things are put away. Dishes are put away. Uh, I got to take my night walk. I got to take my day walk. I got, you know, I got to exercise. Now, granted, I don't have to exercise. I don't exercise every day now, but I do have to take my walks every day. So I, I have like this, this rigid protocol. And now with the insomnia, it's even more rigid because it's like, I got to be in bed by 930. You know, there was a time where I would go out late at night, but uh, now I can because I'm worried I'm only going to get two hours of sleep. And so I got to get in bed as soon as possible, even though I know sleep restriction protocol and CBTI and all the, all this, the sleep insomnia training tells you that going to bed at 930, even though you're not sleeping is actually going to make it worse. I know this on one level, but at the same time, you know, the irrational part of you thinks, well, I got to be in bed as soon as possible because if I go to bed when I'm sleepy at 2 a.m., that only gives me four hours to sleep. What happens if I don't sleep? If I don't sleep, then oh, no, 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 blah, 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 blah. 
So being overweight and not being able to control the environment around me in terms of the ridicule and the the stuff that that my parents were doing uh, to me caused me to be a control freak, caused me to be slightly OCD. Now, I'm not OCD in that I'm thinking, like, did I turn off the oven? Did Did I lock the door? Not like that, but in terms of... Like, again, the dishes need to be put away. The bed needs to be made. I got I to gotta fill like this 25-point this checklist, <laughs> which is a hyperbole. But I, I have to have like this checklist done before I can kind of unwind and relax. And so if you're with somebody like that, unless you are OCD, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to live with, it's, uh, with someone like that, plus dealing with the food. Now, in my most recent, recent relationship, that wasn't an issue. But with my ex-wife, I was still binging. If you go to the episode on Food as My Mistress, I talked about how in college I used to, and in college when I was single, I would go and bring the food home and binge. But now that I live with my ex-wife, I couldn't do that. So then I turned to car binging. I'd binge in the car or I'd binge in my office if nobody was around or I would go to Safeway and sit in those little those booths and just eat all my food there. But that was pretty rare because binge eaters like to do things in private. So it was mostly the car. The car was my restaurant, so to speak. And so like my ex-wife would know that I would binge eat. And so like when I came home from binge eating, I'd be all depressed, right? I'd be like, uh, and sometimes I would hide it. I would try to hide it. But even hiding it made me even more neurotic because I'm like, I'm trying to hide things from people that I love. But if I told the people, then I'd, I'd be depressed and self-loathing and you know, it would affect my mood where I'd be moody and depressed all the time in addition to the the neurotic controlling aspect. So it, it, it made it difficult. So I'm not saying my marriage ended because of that. My marriage ended for a host of reasons that were contributed by both parties. But I'm saying that in general, I can look back and definitely see that actions that I've taken have led to the demise of my relationships. So now with my, the end of my most recent relationship, I realized that it it's so easy to, let's say, fall in love with somebody new. And you see you see this with people and you see this with the statistics. This, the, the rate of second marriage divorce is 75%. The rate of third marriage divorce is 87%. Now, part of that is like the taboo of divorce is gone because you've already divorced once. But most of it, I think, is attributed to, and this is not scientific at all, but the reasons why you divorce in the first place, the issues that you're bringing, you're just bringing to your next relationship and then the next relationship, you never resolve them. So you're just going to end up jeopardizing and destroying that relationship. So I realized that with this last one, that I have work to do before, if even if I want to be in another relationship, because part of me is like, I'd rather just be alone, deal with my own stuff and just you know focus on my kids, right? Because it makes it easier, even though it might be a little more lonely of a life. I see that my controlling issues would make it very difficult for anyone to be with me. And I don't blame them. Look, I got to be in bed by a certain time. I can't be listening to any sounds. No one can watch TV in the same room. There can't be any light in the same room. So if, if, if I end up with someone who's an early bird, maybe that's not an issue. But if you're with someone who's a night owl, that's a major issue. And then they get angry because it's like they want to stay up, but they can't stay up. So I end up sleeping in another room. And so like, who wants to be with somebody who... They can't share a bed with and that who's 
you know, so clean, clean freak who's always focused on cleaning. And, and then of course you're like, if you're, if the, if the, if the woman I'm with is the one who has the clothes out or is the one who's messy, then I'm indirectly cleaning up for them. And then there's that resentment where it's like, why are you cleaning up? This is my stuff. You know, you need to get over it. And then I'll be like, but you know, I need this stuff clean for me to function. Then they start building resentment because even though they might have some compassion at the beginning, you are indirectly insulting them by saying that they're untidy. And so that builds resentment. So, I mean, who really wants to be with somebody who is so regimented in their day. And and this is this is this goes back to yesterday. I had one of my seniors ask me. They're like, "Mr. Luna, are you looking forward to the Christmas break?" And I told him, and all honestly, I'm like, "Not really." Why? Because I need routine. I need routine. And school, work brings me routine. I got to be there a certain time. I have a certain amount of kids I, from this time to this time, then I have a new batch of kids from this time to this time and so forth. Then I have lunch from this time to this time. Then I leave at this time. Then I go do this at this time, or I go work out at this time. Then I go home at this time. Then I do this at this time. Then I clean at this time. Then I go for a walk at this time. Everything needs to be regimented. Everything. I mean, that's not to say I can't eat out or go on a trip or something like that, but day in, day out, it brings me peace of mind to have routine. And so when Christmas break, well, I'm sorry, winter break, if, because we, we can't, we can't love Jesus. When winter break, Christmas break comes, it's like, oh, I get all these days off. What do I, what do I do? There's too much free time. I, I, I don't want to watch TV all day. Oh, I can't, I don't want to watch it. My God, what, what kind of life is that? You know, I, I can't do that. I don't really have anything to shop for and I can read or do some podcasts or clean, but it's like, I just like, <laughs> it's almost like you just sit on a chair in a corner, just twiddle your thumbs. And so I'll ask other people, it's like, what are you doing in the break? Oh, I'm just going to binge watch The Crown or whatever, Master of None or something like that. I'm like, I-, I can't relate. I don't know how to relax. And this all goes back to my obesity. This all goes back to the actions that happened to me as a child. And I realize that now. I realize that now. Normal things that people can do and find enjoyment in, enjoyment in let's say drinking some wine or watching, binge watching a show with a loved one for six hours or taking a walk in lieu of cleaning the dishes. I have problems with because if I go off routine, I get anxious. I get anxious. So I need routine in the house. I need things tidy in the house. I need my sleep protocol to be very rigid and I need routine at work. And when work's not there, I get very fidgety. This is all goes back to my childhood. So do I, do I blame my parents for all this? Do I blame my parents for putting me on this road where I am likely to have failed relationships the rest of my life in addition with dealing with just with the the lingering effects of binge eating and and, and, and the health effects of it and and so forth. There was a phase and I went through it on on I think episode 1 why did I become fat and I talked about there was a phase in my life where I blamed my parents for all of that. And then the few years, maybe a year before my dad died, suddenly I did ha- I had to talk with him and I told him I didn't blame him and he cried. And it was, it was a great moment. I'm glad I had that moment because, of course, I didn't know he was going to die. But, I, I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating. It's like, does, does a parent, does a child who was kidnapped and abused um, 
at a mall because the parents weren't paying attention to them, but, but the child was found and, and brought back. I mean, do they blame their parent because they were negligent for that one hour and the kid got abused? I mean, on one level, you could certainly understand it, especially if the child ends up having issues because of it. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's an accident. So it's like my parents came into their relationship with their own baggage. My mother's father was neurotic and uh, depressed, and he never dealt with his issues. So he pushed that onto my mom and their and their and her five siblings. Of course, I already mentioned my father, and so they just did the best that they could with their issues that they never dealt with, and then they passed it on and gave it to my my siblings and me. Not to speak for my siblings, but so that we have our issues. So, I mean, all of you can relate to this, right? Intergenerational dysfunction because we didn't do the deep work. And so unbeknownst even to us at the time with our children, we are passing it on probably to them. And even though you you can make a concerted effort like I do with my kids not to stigmatize food, and I, I've talked about in the Stocky Son episode how I have worries about my my bro, my son, my eldest son, because I notice he's introspective, he's quiet, and I think he's going to inherit a lot of the qualities that I have, and I'm petrified of that. So even when you make a good effort to maybe not have him go down that road, sometimes it's that that nature versus nurture thing, and they might end up that way. So I don't blame my parents now because honestly, guys, what's the point? Like what, what do we gain from blaming other people? We are all born with, or we have a certain deck of cards that were dealt for either uh, congenital reasons or things that happened to us in our childhood. And I think that the, the key is just doing the best that we can with the cards that were dealt. And honestly, blaming parents... And I know people who have completely severed relationships with their parents or siblings because of issues from their childhood. I mean, what does it accomplish? Now, I can understand, like, if your father abused you or if you have some horrible, you know, antisocial sociopath in your family, why you probably wouldn't want to deal with them day in, day out. But aside from those extreme cases, what's the benefit of hating your parents over something? because it just causes more tension and it's just, it, it's, it's about forgiveness and just, yeah. Am, am I happy that they did that to me because now I have all these issues in my adulthood? No, but I mean, I can't really blame them because again, as I mentioned, they, they dealt with, the, they, they did the best they could. And my mother went to years for counseling for her depression. And there was a time where her psychiatrist had her on seven psychotropic or mind mental health drugs at one time. So, I mean, she was dealing with it. My father just dealt with it the best that he could. So as, as a whole, as a 43 year old man, I don't blame my parents anymore. That's not to say that I'm not wistful that I wish that I had not gone down the road of being obese in my childhood because of course it, it led to all the things that I'm dealing with now. That's not to say, of course, I'm very, I'm not grateful that I've lost my way because, of course, there's many people who haven't lost their way who are obese. But we all are on one road and we are all trying to do the best that we can. But my, 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 my final exhortation to you would be like, if you do hate your parents, just forgiveness. You know, it's, it's just easier to forgive and just try to deal with your future the best that you can. And this doesn't have to do with food. This could be, you know, your, your parents divorced because one of your parents cheated on the other and you hate, you hate that parent because of what they did. 
It could be for other reasons, your your dad bankrupt your family or something, you know, what, whatever the reason is now, if you have both of your parents in your life, talk to them because life is short, time is short. And even though you might think, well, I haven't seen my mother in 15 years and my, I'm fine. I don't need her in my life. We are wired to need our parents in our life. And if your parent is alive, be with them, talk to them, nurture that relationship. And if anything, confront them then, you know, if, especially if it's been 15 years and you haven't confronted them since whatever issue tore your relationship apart, then talk to them, open it up. You know, it's always about communication, right? Even though it's difficult and you might be yelling and screaming, and this is the advice they give in marriages, even though it might be difficult in the long run, there might be a, an, an understanding and then you can build from there and then maybe have a relationship. But don't, don't have that cavalier attitude of, I don't need my parent. You do. We all need our parents on one level or another. Yeah. So I try to connect my childhood to my issues with today. And I'm being very honest about that. I, I, it's not like I'm some defective hermit who lives in, in one room and I'm crying and like drawing on the wall or anything like that. I mean, I am able to sustain tons of like regular relationships, friend relationships. I have a normal life. And of course I have good relationships with my kids, but just because I say that I would, I think I'll find it very difficult to sustain any type of romantic relationships for the future. doesn't mean that I'm some, some weird deviant uh, person or some misanthrope or some some disordered person. I just, I think it's good. I think all of us have baggage and then it's good to, to look in the mirror and like, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? And right now I think I need to work on my controlling stuff. And so I am seeing a therapist uh, for CBT, cognitive behavioral therapist for insomnia to deal with my neuroses, to deal with my routine centric life. And of course, to deal with my insomnia because I want to get better. I want to get to the point where I could leave dishes out or I could not go for a walk or I could go a day without drinking green tea. You know, that's that's the orthorexia part of me where I know I got to have my green tea every day or I got to have my probiotic pill. If I don't have my probiotic pill, oh my God. Da, 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 da. All right, so let's take a break and we're going to talk about Last Jedi. All right, for those of you who come from NP Radio to Confessions and you haven't listened to the other con- Confessions, in Confessions, I do too fine time to talk about pop culture. I've talked about the Grammys. I've talked about relationship advice. I've talked about 13 Reasons Why, that show. I've talked about a host of things. So I do like to go off topic and talk about pop culture. So if you've not seen Last Jedi, do not listen to this part. Just turn it off right now. Okay, so let's talk about Last Jedi. My, my feelings on Last Jedi is this. Now, I am a fanboy. I was seven years old when Star Wars came out, and I, I saw Jedi in the theater when I was 10, and I'm very well versed in the main canon. Now, I don't read the books, and I don't watch the Clone Wars and all that. I'm not some, you know, super fanboy nerd type. I just, you know, I love the movies, and so I know them pretty well. What I will say is Ryan Johnson, the director, did a very good job with the visuals of this movie. Better than J.J. Abrams did in Force Awakens. The movie's beautiful. In particular, there's like two or three scenes where I think it's just incredibly beautiful. So the scene with Snoke and in that red room with the Praetorian Guard and, and the sequence that follows there is just beautifully crafted 
Also, the final battle scene on that salt planet with the, the red, beautifully crafted. The warp speed crash where there's no sound, beautiful, beautifully crafted. I mean, the, the movie is beautifully crafted. The acting, I think, is great. Mark Hamill, who never gets credit for being a good actor, he did great. I think they all did great in the acting. And the plot as, the plot as a whole was good. My problems. Now, my problems I am not are not somehow motivated by the the problems that other fanboys have mentioned. I had these issues when I was watching the movie. I saw it with my my six year old son and my four year old daughter because we had seen Force Awakens together, and so we, we saw it. And these are feelings that I had in the moment. Now, I, I'm not the type to go to Reddit afterwards and read what other people thought. I, I mean, I've never even been to Reddit to be honest. But I do listen to entertainment podcasts, and I understand that the critical review of the movie was very high, but the Rotten Tomatoes review of the fans is very low. Low, like prequel low, like Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clone low. And it's like, why is that? Why are the fanboys not happy, but it's been critically received well? Well, I think it's been critically received well because of the things that I mentioned. It's it's well done. It's well directed. And the movie does a good job of kind of throwing away the past and throwing away a lot of the Star Wars tropes. And because it's kind of throwing away the past and trying to make a new future or a new path, it's thrown away a lot of the things that, that fanboys have loved about Last Jedi. So here, here are my issues with Last Jedi. And, and if any of you have seen this movie or have read anything on it, you'll know what a lot of these are. And you might not agree. So Leia. Leia floating in space like she's freaking Mary Poppins. Okay, I, I, when that, when that, so if, again, you've, you know, the spoilers, um, she's blown out of the cockpit. Rest in peace, Admiral Akbar. I loved Admiral Akbar. They could, they could have given him something at the end of his death. So Leia's blown into space. It looks like she's dead because we know that Carrie Fisher's dead and that was the way they were going to kill her off, maybe. But then suddenly she wakes up in space and flies back to the door to get into the part of the ship that hasn't been blown up. When this happened, I was shocked because again, we know, we know Leia is a Skywalker. So she has force abilities, but here's my problem with that scene. They've never showed her having force powers. So they, through all seven movies or whatever she's been in this, or I guess the fifth movie, they've never shown her as having force powers. So we're supposed to believe she's blown out into space, but she can somehow defy gravity and somehow defy the human survival and somehow breathe in space. And then she flies. Luke doesn't fly. Nobody flies. She flies like she's Peter Pan to the door. And then she falls into a coma. Now, I wouldn't have as much of a problem with this scene if they had established some, like, I don't know, precedent for this. But when that happened, I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Look, there's better ways to show that Leia is Force-sensitive without showing her flying in space. I mean, how many memes are there going to be making fun of that? So that's my one problem. Big problem. Uh, Snoke. Now, I didn't know there were a lot of these theories that Snoke was Mace Windu and uh, all these other things, but killing Snoke, I mean, I thought that scene, though it was beautifully crafted, I just thought it was so incredulous. So Snoke is like, I, I, I see, she's talking to Kylo Ren and, and, and Ray. It's like, I see everything. I brought you guys together. Nobody's better than me using the force. And then the whole time Kylo Ren is turning the lightsaber toward him. And then he flips on the lightsaber and it, it cuts Snoke in half and dies. So it's like, oh, so you're so you're saying that he, I can see everything, but he can't sense that 
that, that Kylo Ren is turning the lightsaber. I mean, Jesus, I don't even have the force. And I, if I saw a lightsaber right next to me turning, I could hear it turning and moving. Even I could notice something, what's going on. So you're telling me that Snoke, who's like Sith, Sith abilities in terms of his force, can't detect that Kylo Ren is turning, that he's turning good. or Because we know he wasn't going to turn good. He needed to kill uh, Snoke because he wanted to be the ruler. I mean, this whole idea that he was going to turn good was laughable. So they kill Snoke. So that, that part is just kind of just idiotic. Now, I know a lot of people are upset because they want to know Snoke's backstory. And they, but I, I do think that they killed him too soon. I think they had to kill him, I guess, from Ryan Johnson's defense because they wanted to put Kylo Ren in the position of power. And so, but once Snoke died, then, then the rest of the movie, and of course, at most of episode nine, kind of lost suspense because you knew that in any fight scene that Kylo Ren was going to be in, either with that, that great scene, that almost like a ballet scene with the Praetorian Guard where he and Ray are fighting the Praetorian Guard, the bodyguards, or later on he's fighting Luke, you knew he wasn't going to die. You knew he wasn't going to get hurt because he's the only bad guy left. It's like frustration. So killing Snoke, didn't like that. Luke. I think the scenes with Luke were fine. The way he dies... I have some problems with, if you've heard anything about Hamill, Hamill told Ryan Johnson throughout the filming, it's like, everything you're doing with Luke, I'm completely against. He was completely against the road that that Luke took in this movie. And I just, I think that, I mean, I understand that he sacrificed some stuff. I just wish that maybe they would have waited till the ninth episode to kill Luke. I I mean, I saw, I kind of saw it coming that Luke would have to die along with Leia and Han. But I just the way he he sacrifices himself and doing the whole remote view astral projection thing, which was which was neat. I like that. I didn't see that coming. Was great, but I, I just thought that I, I I mean, how do you kill Luke? You can't have Kylo Ren kill Luke because Luke's stronger in the force. So how how would Luke die, especially that Snoke's dead? What's a great death for, for Luke? Astral projecting to the point of exhaustion where he dies. I don't know. I just had issues with that. I didn't, I didn't particularly like that. The whole Canto bite scene with Finn going to the casino with Rose, that was kind of a waste. It had a very prequel kind of feel to it. That was kind of a waste. But look, Finn almost dying, Finn flying toward that big cannon at the end. I, I thought he was going to die. I was like, yes, please kill Finn. This would be a great death. It's, just, it's the same thing that they did with uh, Game of Thrones when, when Jamie was charging toward uh, Danny. And then at the last second, Brom steps in and pushes him off. I mean, it was essentially that. It was essentially the same scene from Game of Thrones. But I was like, oh, let's kill Finn. Because what does Finn really bring into this movie? He didn't really do anything in this movie. And the character that is the least developed of the major characters. And I think killing Finn would have been great. You know, I, I, I tell you, like, I want my, my Star Wars to be Shakespearean. And that we need to kill a lot of people. Let's kill off major characters. So why not? Why not kill Finn? I mean, he's not really bringing anything. So, look, what 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 suspense is there now for the last movie? The only suspense really is is Kylo Ren going to turn good? Because is you know is Ray going to convince him to turn good? I, I just there's nothing really left for the ninth movie to care about. There really isn't. Is there going to be a scene between Leia and Kylo Ren? Some mother sun scene. Okay, great. Uh, do I care about Rose? Not really. Do I care about Poe Dameron? Not really. I think o- Oscar Isaac's a great actor. He did great in this movie. But it's like, so this, to, to, to finish here, 
Now, this was the first Star Wars movie where, you know, including, not including the prequels because no one really cares about the prequels. So out of, out of even including Rogue One, which if you go back to episode six, I'll tell you that most of that movie was a complete snore, but the last 30 minutes are excellent. There was no character development, so they, you didn't really care when they, the, the characters died because you didn't even know their names because they never fleshed them out, really. But when I left the movie, I was just kind of like, you know, even Force Awakens, I had a very, like, like a stirring in my soul, that scene where... Ray and Kylo Ren are fighting in the forest and Ray or Kylo Ren reaches out for the lightsaber and the lightsaber passes him and goes to Ray. I think that was a great scene, even though it was completely unrealistic that Ray would beat him in a lightsaber fight. But Snoke addresses that in this movie. But there, there were some stirring movements in that in moments in that movie. But in, in this movie, I just, it was the first of the, the Star Wars movies where I just didn't feel anything. I was just like, Ugh. So, like, part of me realizes it was very well directed and very well done. And I'm sure the critics, they received it well. And I, I think it was it was a good movie. But there was just some scenes, and I know I'm missing some other ones that I had issues with. That's, I, I don't, I just, it left a sour taste in my mouth. And that's not to say I'm not going to see the ninth movie, and I'm certainly going to watch The Last Jedi again. But I, I just, I don't know, I just had issues with the movie, so... There, there's Gregory's review of Star Wars: The Last Jedi. If if you feel differently or feel the same way, uh, you know, definitely contact me through social media and and let me know what you thought of the movie. So, look, just because I had some critiques of it doesn't mean that didn't have some great parts. I think, as I mentioned, the movie did do a great job as a whole. I think the opening scene with the bombers, I think that was great. And I thought the scenes with Luke, some of the comedy scenes were great. I think BB-8 was great in the movie. That scene where Poe Dameron puts Hux on hold at the very beginning of the movie was ridiculous. I mean, that was just so stupid. I mean, look, it's possible to have jokes in, in Star Wars, but to, to do a joke like, oh, I'm still on hold, I'm still on hold. I mean, that was just... just this is so dumb, so dumb. But yes, I think Adam Driver did great as Kylo Ren. I think his character development's probably the best out of all of them. And I think I think uh, Daisy Ridley's doing great with Ray. And I think I think it overall is a great movie. All right, so <laughs> that's the end of my Star Wars review. And I just kind of wanted to end on a, light, a lighter note because this episode was very introspective. And maybe a little downer. So if you can relate it all to what I'm going through or what I want with relationships, if things happen to you in your childhood that's affecting your relationships now, please contact me. Reach out to me. You know, I love confessions. I love it when you guys reach out to me and tell me when the episode's connected to you. And the last thing, of course, is please post a review if you can. Subscribe to these three ep- these three podcast series. And post a review for Confessions of an Obese Child or Kate's Apothecary or NPE Radio. My birthday is coming up. It's in early January, so probably I'll do an episode around my birthday. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.